Welcome to Flip the Script, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Jana Cohn. Whether you know the darkness of depression yourself or have supported someone in their pain, you've come to the right place. My mission is to empower you to take control of your mental health because nothing else in this entire world matters more. If you're listening in the midst of depression right now, I hope this show gives you assurance that you are not alone and that life doesn't have to be so hard. But you must first desire to feel better and get better. This podcast is a step in the right direction. If you're listening because you're walking alongside someone dealing with depression, thank you. You can always find me on Instagram at jana.cone and be sure you're subscribed to my email list in the show notes so you never miss an episode. Together, we can flip the script on mental health. Enjoy. Today, I have a special guest for you, my friend, Joy Stone. Joy's platform and business is built all around the topic of anxiety, which I know is going to land for many of you. But what is so captivating about Joy to me is that she has walked with anxiety since childhood, not in her teen years, not in her 20s. She did not discover what anxiety felt like in her 30s. Joy dealt with anxiety starting in her childhood. She was taking on responsibilities like raising her brother who actually called her mommy at one point. And both of her parents were addicts, including a grandmother who lived close by. So safe to say that statistically, the odds were not stacked in her favor. And you will hear about exactly what I mean when I say that. Joy is now a best-selling author of a book called If I'm So Spiritual, Why Am I Still So Anxious? That book, if you enjoy this episode, you are going to want to snag that and add it to your personal library, especially if you suffer with anxiety. It is so poignantly written I was circling and highlighting and starring all over it. I could not put it down. Within the intro, I was pulled in. Joy has spent the last 25 years immersed in her own soul journey, and we are going to be talking about all of that today in this episode. Joy brings to the table incredible wisdom from some of the leading teachers and thought leaders in the fields of yoga, psychology, therapy, positive psychology, and spirituality. Through this episode, you will see exactly why and how Joy has successfully mentored hundreds of women 
to reconnect with their confidence and freedom, all while staying true to themselves. Joy is a one-of-a-kind gem. I am happy to call her a friend. She is genuinely a good human, and I know you are going to love this conversation. Okay, thank you. I'm excited for this conversation. I just have to say, I mean, so many people are dealing with anxiety, depression, and just to like hear each other's stories. And I think it was in my podcast, I said something like, we tend to compare our insides to other people's outsides and we're walking around. So I'm going to share a little bit about my story to give context, like you said. And one of the things that often happens when I share my story is that people say, I could have, I don't, I can't even imagine that because we get so good at presenting on the outside, you know? So I grew up just like a brief history. I grew up, um, I was born to parents who were young. My mother was 18. My dad was 27, but they were homeless when I was born. They were um, drug addicted, struggling with alcoholism. And so there was just a lot of instability as I grew up in my life. And just a lot of responsibility as a young girl, you know, too soon. And so there was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of fighting, yelling, and, and just the chaos and how from a very early age, that sense of safety was just not there. And I was immediately put into a state of survival mode. And so we know that when we're in a state of survival mode, there's a link between that fight or flight response and that chronic state and then disease and then the the repeating of patterns and um, alcoholism and drug addiction. So all the things. So when my when my mentor had said that to me, that girls like you who go through what you have gone through tend to either repeat the patterns that they live through, end up dead, in jail, or addicted. And so um, when I had heard that from her, I hadn't really realized what a survivor I really was. And so that was a huge turning point in my life. But growing up in that in that family, you know, my mom, fast forward, my mom and dad separated and my mom had remarried another alcoholic and we lived in like low income housing. I mean, I didn't even have my own bedroom until I was almost 11 years old. So um, my mom had a baby with her second husband and, you know, I write about in my book, I remember thinking, okay, this is going to change my life because this is going to give me the security that I've always wanted because now my mom's going to have to stay home because we have a little baby. And it just didn't turn out that way. My mom continued to go out at the bars at night and stay gone. And I was left home alone with my brother to be his primary caregiver. And so I began to struggle with being able to make it to school. And at that age, when you're trying to fit into the world, make it to school, take care of my brother. You know, my grandmother was also, she lived near us. She was also an alcoholic. So any person that I went to rely on just was not available to me. And I felt like I was in this world by myself with these huge responsibilities, especially another human being, to the point that my brother ended up calling me mom. And so there was a lot of like stuff going on. So my anxiety was getting, my anxiety was increasing. That sense of deep fear and insecurity and that's really what anxiety is. It's a form of fear, you know, and fear runs through all of us. But this is like a chronic state of fear, a heightened state of being, feeling unsafe. So fast forward, I made it through that time in my life. 
And when I was 18 years old, I moved out of the house and there was a lot of guilt around leaving the house because I had my brother there who was 10 years younger than me. So there was guilt in there. There was anxiety. There was anger, resentment. And the thing is when I moved out, of course, I took everything with me. And at the time when I moved out, I thought if I can just get out of here, I'm going to be okay, so to speak, right? I'm going to figure life out. However, we know that now I've got these patterns that I'm carrying around. I can't let anybody in. I don't know how to let people in. I didn't have friends when I was younger. I don't know how to be in the world. I don't know how to be myself. And so I'm just walking around trying to get love and acceptance from other people by being this chameleon. And so my anxiety was a lot around what people thought of me, if I fit in, if I would be loved, if I would be rejected. And I just frankly did not know how to be me. So there was a massive disconnection from myself going on. And during the time when I was 18 to 24, I drank and I ended up drinking in a way that could be considered like alcohol, alcoholically, right? I drank in a way that was repeating patterns of what I had seen. And I was very confused by that because I grew up seeing that. And I thought I'm never going to be like that. However, that's a whole other story. But basically is I ended up at 24 hitting a bottom. And I, the alcohol definitely moved that forward. So I was treating my anxiety with alcoholism or with alcohol. And then that sped up my bottom to where I felt so lost in life. And there was a moment where I reached out for help. And it was one of those moments that, you know, we hear about it in people's stories where you hit a bottom and there's just this moment of surrender where you're like, I'm ready to let someone in. I need help. I can't figure this out on my own anymore. And now I just want to say here that from the outside looking in, I looked okay. I had an apartment. I had a nice car. I had a job. I was a, I, I could be a nice girl. You know what I mean? And so from the outside, I, I looked fine. Unless you really knew me, which were very few people, you would not really know there was anything going on like this. So when I hit this bottom and asked for help, to some people, they were surprised. And there are people who, when I say that I struggle with anxiety, are in like shock. Like, what? I would never guess that of you. Because again, it's like this quiet desperation. We get used to figuring it out on our own. So that moment when I asked for help was not like, that was a huge moment in life. And that began my healing journey. So I'll pause there just to, that was just giving some context. Yeah. It is so true. And it's one thing that I've said here on this podcast repeatedly is I do not believe that someone, well, for me, speaking from the experience with depression, sounds like it's the same with your experience with anxiety but I don't believe that you can truly get out of it alone. Not that you ever really do get out of it. You're, you're never cured, essentially. You learn how to cope with it in better ways. You see it for what it is. You have, you know, things at the ready when the illness strikes. But I think that realizing when you reach a point of you have to share it with someone, you have to tell someone and reach out for help. And then the healing process begins. I think that there's such power in that. And 
sometimes people do hit a rock bottom per se, like, like you're describing before they reach out for help. And sometimes they're not quite at rock bottom yet, but they are quickly on their way. And so reaching out and letting someone know is sometimes, well, one of the hardest parts of the battle. Would you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I would first talk to my the woman that I went to for help. And she ended up being a spiritual therapist, which was amazing because I didn't know anything about any of that when I started this journey. Um, I remember holding, I remember I would get so, even though I was willing to go and I wanted to talk to her because I knew I needed help, I remember my my throat would get so sore because I'd be holding in the crying. Like I'd be sitting in the office mm-hmm. talking to her and I was so afraid of being seen, so afraid of being out of control. Like if I let this go, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop crying basically. And so even as I was seeking the help and knowing I couldn't do this on my own, I was still afraid. And it's that process of finding that person you can feel so safe with and so like that lets you, lets you just be seen and loved at the same time and not judged, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I so relate with that in saying being scared to let this go, like being scared to let the tears flow because they might not ever stop. Also, you become so good at hiding it. For me with the depression, unless you really, really, really know me, from the outside, people never would have a clue. I mean, and still to this day, I mean, now more so people know because I share so much of it openly on social media, but you become so good at hiding and you think, okay, once this is revealed, what then, you know, what, what now, how do I identify And one thing that you said in your book is that anxiety separates you from yourself. And as I was reading in your book, I could almost replace the word anxiety with depression so many times. And I thought, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly that's exactly how I felt. And so talk a little bit about the links and maybe parallels that you see with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was a that was a huge epiphany that I had in a moment of I guess like another bottom that I had, because you know, we're our healing is not linear, right? We know that. It's like this right. this spiraling journey of deepening our awareness and our evolution and our our compassion and self. It's it's just this constant spiral and journey. And in 2012, I had this kind of bottom in even though I in 2005 is when I first, you know, found yoga and then 1996 I think it was 1996 when I found my first mentor. It's like, this is a while now. But in 2012, I had this bottom and I was like, why am I still struggling with this? What in the world is happening? 
all these years, all this information, all this treatment, all these modalities, what is going on? And in that moment, I had that epiphany where, oh my gosh, like I'm spending all of my energy trying to manage and control this anxiety when really that is the symptom. So whether we look at anxiety or depression, and this is that parallel right here is both of them, whatever the thing is, I always say, whatever our hungry ghost is, whatever we each have something for you, it's the depression. For me, it's the anxiety for someone else. It might be, you know, codependency. It might be a lack of worth, you know, that is the, that is the symptom of the disconnection from ourselves. Because we're, we don't even realize that we get disconnected because when we're little, we're born whole and complete. I believe that. That's what yoga psychology teaches us. We're like this whole, complete, perfect being. And then we start to adapt and we start to try to like live in a world and we're reflecting back our sense of self based on our life experiences, how people are treating us, talking to us. And so it can impact us and affect us in, in various ways. Now, there's other factors, of course, that play, in, play into that. But I started to realize in those moments that I was like, oh, if I start to work more on this connection to myself versus just managing the anxiety, maybe that's going to be a piece that's been missing. Because even all the spiritual tools I had, I was still using them to manage the anxiety, but not really to come home to myself. And so anxiety and depression, I think of anxiety though as they're both they're both symptoms and the cause is disconnection. Now this is through the spiritual lens, not the biomedical lens, right? And there's both have great value. But anxiety is more of this like the airy quality, like we're up in the air. We're, we're in our heads. We're like stuck up here. You know, we can't land. And so we have to learn how to kind of land and come into ourselves, embodiment, whereas for depression, a lot of times it's, and you can speak more to this, but it's more of that like kind of heaviness, like the mud I call, like you're, you're, you're just kind of in quicksand and you have to kind of come back up, right? So like come back, the energy needs to rise up a little more. So the, the way that we approach them are different, but the ultimate cause, what the yoga psychology says in the spiritual tradition say is that this is ultimately a disconnection from ourselves. We're never really disconnected, but our awareness has gone to a place where we now believe something that isn't the ultimate truth about ourselves and life. And it's not even conscious. Right. Oh, that's so powerful. And when you describe, a, you know, having all of these spiritual tools and things, I mean, you're, the, the name of your book if I'm so spiritual, why am I still so anxious? Okay. If you take the word spiritual out of it and you just think of, okay, I've done all these things. I've done the medications. I've done the, you know, the IV ketamine. I've done psilocybin. You know, I've, I've read the self-help book. I, you know, have, have watched this documentary on Netflix. I, have had this certain special therapy, you, when you've done all those things and you're like, why am I still depressed mm -hmm. or why am I still struggling with anxiety or codependency or whatever it is, the feeling comes up 
for me at least, of frustration. And I've, I've dealt with it over the past couple of weeks, which I've, I've shared openly on my social media is, you know, I sometimes get so frustrated because things never truly go away. We have to learn to live with it. Mm-hmm and making the conscious choices on what works for us and how how can we live with it and live fully and consciously while not attaching ourselves to a label yeah and one thing that you said in your book I actually wrote it down and I I would love to hear your thoughts it says and I think this was in your um, chapter about labels. And I think that's chapter two. And it spoke to me because the name of this podcast, Flip the Script, is like, let's change the, the narrative. Let's flip flip the script. Let's reverse the stigma. But it says, I wrote this down, would I continue to practice becoming less anxious or would I commit to becoming confident and joyful? Would I commit to living in trust or fear? That was so powerful because I'll speak for myself. I focus all the time on what can I do to become less depressed? How can I deal with this depression? So the focus is on the illness, the disease, whatever you want to call it, rather than focusing elsewhere, like you say, on confidence and joy. It's just, there's a mindset shift. And is that where your practice and everything you've learned about the psychology of yoga has come into practice. Um, And that is a whole new realm for me. And that's why I'm so interested in your book and everything that you've learned. How did your mindset make that shift? Was it through everything you, you learned through, through yoga? Tell us about that. Yeah. I love that because that truly was a turning point in my own journey. So in yoga psychology, which now when we talk about yoga psychology, I'm referring primarily to an ancient text called the Yoga Sutra. And the Yoga Sutra is, it's considered kind of like the first text of psychology, okay? Because it's all about the mind. So we think when we think yoga, we think about the physical body a lot in the West. That's what I've always associated with it. And so when you get into the mind part of it, it's so much more than the physical poses. A hundred percent. In fact, the physical postures, when we look at like yoga classes, those are only about like 50 to a hundred years old. And yoga goes back 5,000 years ago, you know, beyond that. So yoga is ultimately about the mind. And when you look at the postures that we do in yoga, they are in part to help us regulate our nervous system so that we can see more clearly through the mind and we are not driven by the fight or flight or the habits of our mind. 
So that's just gotten a little bit flipped upside down in the West, right? It's become more of an exercise. And again, I'm not judging it. It's just that that's what sort of happened. But ultimately, there's this rich philosophy and a way of living that comes out of the Yoga Sutra and other ancient texts. But the Yoga Sutra has to do with the mind. How do we take a mind that is anxious or depressed or whatever that might be, and how do we cleanse the mind and make it more luminous so that the the light of your soul can shine mm-hmm. through, so that the true you can oh. shine through? So you're so this is when I first learned this, and the first sutra is Atta Yoga Nushasanam, and that's a Sanskrit, and it it says that basically it's saying if you knew who you really were if you understand your truth who you really are you would you would not suffer so to get to your point is how did i flip the script for myself is that i was coming at my healing my treatments from a broken mindset i'm broken something's wrong i need to fix this and when i fix this then i'm going to be okay that was my mindset right that or something like it but somehow Something was wrong and I needed to fix it. I needed to manage it. And the whole thing was revolved around that. What yoga is saying is if you knew who you really were, if you understood that, you would be free and that there already is a place in you that's free. Get to know that place now. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to have the fear or the anxieties or the depressions because what it says in the Yoga Sutra is that that runs through every human. That's part of even the great sages. Fear and doubt is going to run through us all. So don't judge it. So all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is human condition? Like this is just part of being human? I'm not like less than, I'm not broken? And so there, so in terms of what you read is I decided I was either going to spend my days in my life trying to feel less anxious, which by the way, the same things that make you less anxious are not the same things that make you thrive. Okay, we need both, but they're not the same things per se. So I had to learn how to become more embodied in that inner confidence, wisdom, and joy that is my nature, that the Yoga Sutra says, that's your nature. Get to know that. And so I began the journey of, oh, wow, that sounds really interesting. And that started to light me up. Like, I want to know that about myself. So my path started to shift. So yes, there's things I do to manage my anxiety because that's part of my human condition, but it's not all of me. There's more to me than that. And so I put a lot of effort and energy into the part of me that is that confidence, wisdom, and joy. Wow. That, that makes so much sense when, when you think about it and you really boil it down, it makes so much sense. And so how did you get started on that? Like, where does one begin to dive into that world? Is that something that now you teach? You know, if someone is listening and mm-hmm. is, you know, wants to dive in more, is that something that, you know, you have mastered or perfected now and you, you teach that? Yeah, that's what my my whole my entire all of my work is around this. So I wrote my book about it and my healing course Fear to Freedom is about that, my all of it. I mean, and that's what I'm passionate about sharing and teaching is through the Yoga Sutra primarily. You know, I I also have a little background in positive psychology, right? Studying that. It doesn't light me up the same way even though I love it, right? The the yoga, the spirituality, the essence work, that's what lights me up. And so 
yeah, it's, it's weaved into everything that I do and teach. And how we get started on it is we just begin. And so we just begin. And the idea is that time is, as we said, healing's not right. linear, right? Time is not linear. There is this no future place that I'm going to get to that when I figure everything out, I'm going to be happy. That doesn't exist because so we begin in the now. So when that um when that sutra, that first sutra, Atta Yoga Nushasanam, what it's saying is the word Atta means now. Atta means it's an auspicious beginning, that there is no better time to begin than now. And what it says is um, Atta Yoga means to link to your true self. So there's no better time to get to know who you are than now. And then Anushasana means, and it's really helpful to follow someone who has walked the path. So like for you with your community, you're sharing your story of depression. You're walking the path. So there's going to be people that are going to come into your world that are like, I want to walk with you because you're you you're maybe a little bit ahead, Right. And then they'll walk with people and people will be a little bit behind them. And we just keep sharing this message and we need each other. And what that sutra also says is that this journey of healing, of becoming established in who we really are, is not academic. And I think this is a really important key because as Western culture, we get addicted to information. It's not academic. It's experiential. It's experiential. So I would take a teaching or I would take a practice and I would experience it. I would put it into action. I would practice it. And then I would come back and reflect on how did that feel? What were the challenges with that? You know, like I remember when I was building my confidence, really just beginning to, there was a girl at the yoga community that I taught. I taught yoga for 10 years as well before becoming a spiritual mentor is, and she did not like me. Okay. She did not like me and she scared me because if someone doesn't like me, now my anxiety is charged up, right? Like, Ooh. So I remember consciously choosing that I was going to walk into that room and I was going to hold my center. So what that specifically looked like is I thought, how am I going to breathe? How am I going to hold my shoulders? How am I going to walk? What am I going to think? Because, you know, we're, we're creating our reality all the time. We are always projecting onto reality. So her not liking me is a neutral experience. Her not liking me, she may not like a lot of people, and each of us would respond a little differently. So her not liking me is neutral, but what's making me suffer is that now I believe that she has to like me for me to feel okay. That's what's making me suffer, not that she doesn't like me. So I need to clean that up. So I started to think about okay, who's someone that I know that, that is really confident? Who's someone that I know that seems so comfortable in her skin? And I tried to embody qualities like she had because I needed role models. So I would walk into that yoga studio and I knew she didn't like me and I could feel the old stories. They were still there. The old patterns are there, the thoughts. I don't, I don't judge them. It's like they're there. And I would be consciously choosing another way of being, practicing that which does not feel real at first, which is why a lot of people fall back to the old pattern because they're like, this doesn't feel real. Well, it won't feel real until you mm. learn to really make it your own. The other only feels real because you've been feeling it for so long. So it's that practice of doing it now, not judging it, and then reflecting. So yoga calls, there's this um, 
There's something called svadhyaya, which means self-study. And basically it's like when you have a practice like I just described, that you are going to have food now from that practice. So you now you're going to meditate and you're going to journal on the food. Okay, what came up from that? Like I just said, oh, that felt hard because every time she would look over at me, I noticed that I would question my worth. Oh, that's interesting. So I would get curious about that. So you have to study yourself in a loving, compassionate way where you feel safe to do so. Because if you think about the places where you feel safe, you feel safe there because there's no judgment. There's unconditional love. So as you're healing, you have to give that to yourself. And that's something I had to learn because I was not a self-lover. I was a self-judger. I would be mad at myself, yelling at myself <laughs> inside of my head, you know? Yeah. that That's such a good practical example. I really like that because it puts into practice in real life these principles. And so two things came up to me yeah. while you were describing that. One, imposter syndrome, which most people have, I'm sure, heard about. When you were describing, you know, your fear of her not liking you, then looking to other people that were confident that maybe wouldn't necessarily be bothered by someone not liking them. And then literally imitating their habits. Like you said, you know, shoulders back, head, head held high. I think knowing that going in, that you are emulating those qualities, it's totally normal, I would think, to feel that imposter syndrome come up because you're having to practice new habits and having to embody mm -hmm. that. And I feel like embodiment yeah. is such a buzzword, if you will, for showing up as the highest version of yourself or connecting to mm -hmm. your higher self. So really these principles that we hear in modern day, you know, in the coaching and mentoring space of imposter syndrome and embodiment, they all go back to these principles that you're talking about in yoga psychology that kind of clicked for me as you were talking about it, you know, the, the practical applications go back so far. It makes so much sense. It does. And it's, that's also another one of my passions, like you're saying is, is bringing these together because one of my teachers would say, what's the point of spirituality if we don't know how to use it? Right? Like, I mean, spirituality is really a deep dive into who we are, but we have these practices, but if we're like, oh, well, how do I use that in my life? Right? So bringing them into a way that they land for us and we can actually apply them is incredibly powerful. And that's what I was so blessed to have teachers that did that for me and showed me how to make this practical. I mean, I remember when I was working with another mentor and he said to me, when I went to meet with him, he said, what do you want? And I, he was saying that very nice, like, well, what, what do you want? Why are you here? And I said, well, I want to be happy. I want to feel more confident. And he said, that's very vague. I don't know what you mean. And I was like, oh, he said, 
That's different for each person. What does that mean to you? And it really was like another way of this, like we all walk around like, yeah, I want to feel better about myself. So I have these spiritual practices, but what does it mean? What's the goal? Like, what does that look like in your life? And for me, it meant I want to walk in a room and not give a crap what anybody thinks about me. I want to be able to walk in and feel so good about myself. Like I really wanted that, but just saying I wanted to feel confident isn't really what I wanted. You know what I mean? I want the confidence, but here's what I want it to look like in my life. I want to be able to sit on a podcast with another person and be able to speak my truth and not second guess myself. That's what I really want. So we start to put this into like, what do we really desire? Because that's what we're learning to in modern times. And yoga is telling us this too. It's saying yoga must be linked with a goal. So you have a goal that you're working toward because the goal gives you direction and the goal gives you something to embody and practice. And what it says in yoga psychology is there's this word shraddha, which means faith and shraddha, but it's a very specific kind of faith. It's a conviction of staying committed to your goal, to what you want. It's about remembering your goal and having mental strength. So it says that the greater shraddha you have, the more faith you have in your goal. So in other words, if I have faith in that I can be confident, the nearer I am to it. So the more faith I have in it, the nearer I am to it. So when we learn things about manifestation or collapsing time or all these things we're hearing in modern terms, this is what it is. I am the game changer. I am the one. So when I become through my faith, which is conviction, practice, belief, right? Then I get nearer to it. It's not like the thing is out there. It's coming from in me. So that was another way that it landed for me in terms of this practical way of getting so clear on what is my goal, which is also, by the way, side note, one of the harder things for our minds to really come up with because we are very addicted to and know exactly what we don't want. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel depressed. I don't want people to judge me. Well, what do you want? Which is what my teacher was having me shift to when he, when he asked me that question. That's vague. I don't know what you mean. What do you really mean? What do you really want? Oh, well, let me think about that. And that was a huge paradigm shift, you know? And so linking that to modern. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> putting context around what you want. And it sounds mm-hmm. to me like it's so much more than what we want because what we want is really deeply rooted in a feeling of mm. how we think that we will feel once we accomplish that. So we will mm-hmm. feel less anxious once we can walk into a room confidently and not care what anyone else thinks about us. So it's all about Mm -hmm. the feeling. And you and I have had this conversation a few times that often at the end of the day, we have to come back to ourselves and we get hooked into this web of, well, I'm almost there, whatever you know, there, the end goal is for you, whatever you're trying to accomplish, let's say, I'm almost there, but I just need this one more thing, or I just want to get 
one more person's perspective, or I just need to maybe invest in one more program or one more course or one more mentor. And there is absolutely value in that and a time and a place for it. Absolutely. But sometimes we actually just have to walk it out ourselves and depend on our ourselves, our knowledge, our, our bodies, our lives to determine our next step. The answers are always within us. Sometimes we need others to help us bring that out a little bit, but Mm -hmm. leaning into the trust that's required to get to that point is the game changer in my opinion, yes, is, is getting to that point mm-hmm. of, of trust. And yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I agree. It's like, that's, that self-trust is so key. And as you were sharing that, I was thinking about, there's kind of that saying in, I don't know, I, I would hear it in spiritual coaching is that you can't see the spinach on your teeth. Yes. And I can't see the spinach on my teeth, but I can see it in your teeth. And you can see. It. So, in other words, it's a funny thing, but we hold up a mirror for each other. And really, what mentorship or coaching or any kind of that stuff is that we are in. You and I are both mentors and coaches and teachers. But it's not like we are trying to. T- this is what we want to be mindful of. This is what I had to start to run away from because I had mentors and teachers that did what I'm about to say. And then I finally realized, and I had good mentors and teachers that were like, "No, that's not it." They try to tell me how to live my life and what was right or what was wrong and would challenge me on my beliefs. So the thing is, is that a mentor and a healer or a coach or whatever is there to be a mirror for you to bring your truth out, not their truth. Yes. And when I got in the right place with mentors like that, it was like, oh, okay, so what's my truth? And having them actually bring me into the conversation, what do you feel about that? What do you think about that? How does that land for you versus here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to do it. Do you know what I mean? And then that does that does um, lean into that trust that you're talking about. So learning the self-trust in a safe space where then we go on and we can move on with our lives, right? We're not constantly seeking the answers from someone else. I love mm-hmm. that. And one of the best therapist or coach or whatever you want to call her that I yeah. ever had, prior to seeing her, I had always been looking for someone to give me the answer. Like, tell me what to do and I can go and manage and, and do that. And because you're telling me, then I know it's the right thing. But she would say, okay, describe to me you know, if there were, if I was at a crossroads between two different things, describe to me how this one makes you feel. Describe to me how this one makes you feel. And then just by me doing that, I would answer my own question every single time. Mm -hmm. And it just, it all just goes back to coming home to ourselves. Just like you talk about that, that is everything. Yeah. I think that's the Mm -hmm. solution. Yeah. So Joy, tell us how can someone get 
more involved in your world. Of course, I will put your Instagram and your website in the show notes, but I know you also have a wonderful mastermind and a few different courses. Just kind of briefly tell us about those. So I have a mastermind, which is called Make the Impossible Possible, because it's all about really coming home to yourself and realizing that we are the co-creators, at least, of our reality. And how do we come back home to ourselves? And then from being home within yourself, you begin to create the life of your dreams. I think it's like so easy for us to try to create from a place of feeling disconnected, and it never worked for me, you know? Um, So there's that. And then there's you can go to my website at joystonecoaching.com, and I have various programs and um, and then I have a podcast out, so that's kind of exciting. That's yes. the newest thing. And your book, yeah. which I will also link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's the solution. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So I have a mastermind, which is called Make the Impossible Possible, because it's all about really coming home to yourself and realizing that we are the 
co-creators at least of our reality and how do we come back home to ourselves? And then from being home within yourself, you begin to create the life of your dreams. I think it's like so easy for us to try to create from a place of feeling disconnected and it never worked for me, you know? Um, so there's that. And then there's, you can go to my website at joystonecoaching.com and I have various programs and, um, and then I have a podcast out. So that's kind of exciting. That's the newest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Flip the Script, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Jana Cohn. If you'd like to talk with me one-on-one, I have private sessions available now to book in the show notes. And please, if this episode spoke to you in any way and you want to join me, and flipping the script on mental health issues. The best thing you can do is leave a review on whatever platform you're listening from, or take a screenshot of this episode, tag me and share to your social media. I'd also love to connect with you in the DMs on Instagram at Jana.Cohn. In the show notes, you can subscribe to my email list and never miss an episode. I'll see you here next time on Flip the Script.